welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. This is Q&A with Stephen K. The, I'm going to write a rap at some point. Still haven't written the rap that I'm supposed to write about the freedom song that we're writing. Uh, maybe if I, if I get some free time, I'll finish my rap. And we'll present it at the, feeder, at the Freedom Meetup up on the 20, what is it, 4th? 24th, Freedom Meetup, being shared in Illinois. General Flynn being there, and Captain K, Captain Seth Kersel, this is a big deal. There's gonna be lots of godly, patriotic folks, and I would love for you guys to come and show them what crazy supernatural people look like as patriots and Christians. So, because sometimes those two, those two don't mix very well. I'll be doing, a, tomorrow morning, I'll be doing a, a debate with Doc Ryan and Matt Muzakis, who they are the two folks that run Expedition 44, which I gotta give shout outs to Doc Ryan. Expedition 44 is uh, tracking to have 100,000 subscribers to that YouTube channel, and it is a theology YouTube channel. 100,000 subscribers to a theology YouTube channel is unheard of. And you guys know Doc Ryan. I would say he's probably top 10 theologians in the entire nation, spirit-filled. That is a big deal. So I'm going to be debating them. The, the context for our debate tomorrow is, patriot, is patriotism, American patriotism, okay as a Christian? <laughs> <laughs> but find out how this goes down, don't we? So uh, I'm obviously on one end of this conversation, and, and Matt is going to be my, my, de my contrary debater. Uh, we're going to debate in love. You can do this. Except, uh, this is an important part of the kingdom. Acts chapter 15 is a debate between Paul and his beliefs as how the kingdom would work, and basically Peter and that gang. And they worked it out. You can be contrary in your beliefs and talk about them, and talk about them in a godly way, and actually resolve them. And the amazing part is Paul, the brand new kid on the street, who had this revelation, stood up against Peter, the pillar of the church, and Peter humbled himself and said, Paul's right. Radical. Humility. So I'm, uh, I'm going to do this in love and I'm going to represent the king well and I think that all of you if you've not subscribed to Expedition 44 please do that because I think that uh, Doc Ryan is is probably one of the uh, most amazing guys on the planet number one and number two has incredible things in his heart to say and Matt too Matt is has wisdom beyond his years 
And so I'm honored to be a part of that, but I want you guys to, to hear it out. Because I'll tell you that if you are more patriotic than you are Christian, you are wrong. And I've had to fight with this. If you believe more in that flag than you believe in that cross, your priorities are mucked up. And I've had, to, I've had to go back and forth on this because when I see what evil is doing to my nation, I want to I put on my American flag suit and honor the Second Amendment and go take care of bad people. That's not how we do it now. We are, we are at the stage in our society to where we win with words. We win with having a better argument and we win with holding ourselves accountable to the principles of the king and the kingdom. And then that creates supernatural stress on the workers of evil. So, having said all that, uh, I don't know when Doc Ryan will release it, but I, the last three times I was on his channel, uh, it nuked his channel. You, you just say Steve Castle. <laughs> in the YouTube world and literally, I'm, literally there's an algorithm that if my name is plugged in on something, he's, he's had two of his shows removed by YouTube because my, I was on them. And one of them, it was, it was over 100,000 views when they took it down. And so he's gonna try to change, he's gonna put on there Dr. Stephen Castles to see if he can break the <laughs> algorithm. <laughs> like, good luck, buddy. All right, so, Cheryl, first question. I'll say your last name if it's a good one for all of the people on YouTube. Any last name? Um, my question is about the Great Awakening. Um, and I guess I don't really exactly know how to... So, in the Second Great Awakening, I'm curious, comparatively so, and we know that it's not necessarily mentioned in the word, the Great Awakening is not scripture per se. I'm curious about the timing and if it is a, a matter of faith, ushering it in and speaking it because you believe it, or is there a timing... Um, is it a signs of the times? And comparatively so to the second great awakening, are the times the same? Is it a different thing? Can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, for those of you that haven't heard me talk about that, we are currently in what I call <coughs> capital V great awakening. Andrew and Dwayne call it the Third Great Awakening. Lance, Walnow, and um, some other folks that are Mario Murillo, they call it the Third Great Awakening as well. I honestly don't have a, I'm not gonna fight all that language, but what I've seen the Lord revealed to my heart is that this isn't going to be another Great Awakening, this is gonna be the Great Awakening. That's why I say it the way I say it. They, they've had it revealed to their heart how they've had it. I've had it how I've had it. And so, and I also believe, and I could spend hours talking about this, I won't. I also believe that it started 
about eight years ago. And I know some of you are thinking, man, if it started eight years ago, this Great Awakening stinks. Hold on. One of the things that, that some people don't understand when you use language about Great Awakening, it's not a revival. A revival is kind of something that like, it's a little fiery explosion in some place and this great stuff happens and it usually attracts a lot of people, but at some point the fire kind of burns out and then everybody gets back to normal, which normal is like antichrist. <laughs> there, should be, there should be no world normal. It should be kingdom normal. And the first great away, if you want to go through like scripture times, the Exodus would have been a great awakening. It was God's people being awakened unto what he wanted to do with them. And if you know the Bible, that, didn't, that wasn't awesome. It was 40 years of pain and misery, especially for Pastor Moses, that guy. Man, if you ever read Exodus and you didn't pray for me, you didn't read it right. What that, that was. So you all need to read Exodus. Pastor Moses had a rough time with his flock. They were always rebelling. His sister, brother, you know, they acted a fool and and praise God. Stacy's never had leprosy, so you know she hasn't been that bad. <laughs> but that great awakening, it was a great awakening. It was the nation of Israel coming out. And in the time of Joshua, it got great. But it took 40 years of really bad to start to get into the great. And that is a form of a great awakening that took place. And then you can, then you, if you track through the scriptures, you can see like terrible stuff. And then there'd be revivals and a, and a minister would come in or a prophet or a good king like David or Solomon. In the days of Solomon, the kingdom of Israel was so wealthy that they literally threw silver out in the streets because it was worthless. That's how good it was in the days of Solomon. They had zero wars and they were so wealthy they threw silver in the streets. That was a revival, not an awakening because it was isolated for the nation which is of Israel, which is not what God intends. God intends for all people everywhere to be blessed. Read the book of Acts. That's a language that goes over and over. So the next actual awakening would have been Christ. This is how I interpret the scriptures. I'm sure other people have different opinions. So Christ came, and the angels heralded his arrival Read Luke chapter 2, every time we do Christmas, you know, hark the herald angels sing. Born in Bethlehem, the newborn king. He was Christ at his birth, the newborn king. And for 30 years, nothing happened. In fact, it got worse. Herod killed all the babies. If you were in the days of Jesus' birth, you wouldn't have been running around, woohoo, great awakening, Christ is here, things are going to change, the Messiah is here. You would have been like, they're killing our babies. They're persecuting us more than we ever have been. They're killing our babies. 
and the people of God were being more persecuted than ever before. Please let that resonate through you so you can connect to our time. For 50 years in America, we've been killing innocent babies. And the church has been increasingly more persecuted. The authentic church. Now, the fake church, the woke church, they've been getting better. The, the more smoke you can pump into the, into the ventilation system and the bigger the screens, the more you could get people in there. When I first went to go plant the church, there, there's literally a system in there where you give them money and they will guarantee you a church with X number of people. I have a friend who planted a church in Chicago and he did the thing. He gave him $150,000 because that's what you do. And he planted a church in Chicago and he had 300 people on his first service and 500 people after the first month. He paid for people to be in his church. And that church does not exist today. And the decimation in people's lives because it was done the wrong way. You do, you do the right thing the wrong way, you'll hurt people. You do the wrong thing, you'll hurt people. The only way to not hurt people or yourself is to do the right thing and do it the right way. So when Christ came, it was 30 years of what looked like even worse. And then he started his ministry. And people responded, and people responded, and people responded. And you're like, hey, this is it. He's the Messiah. Awesome. Then they killed him. And for those of you that are super holy and you think, man, if I'd have been one of the disciples of Jesus, I do not understand why they got so flippant about all the things that they're supposed to be doing. If, if you're following a guy, if you left your family and your job and your life and your everything to go follow a guy because you believe he was a Messiah, Messiah, biblical Messiah, who's going to come and set up his kingdom and rule over all of the nations of the earth, and then they kill him? You're a little freaked out. And I know a bunch of us are way more spiritual than the disciples were. Mm -hmm. But they ran, rightfully so. We can't even stand up against the government. They tell you that there's a virus that's going to kill you. Everybody put their masks on, hid in their basement, and they're getting YouTube. <laughs> anyway. After the Lord's resurrection is when the real awakening started to show up. And Paul's ministry was about 30 years long. And the Apostle John, depending on what historians you follow and what uh, theological debates you follow, the Apostle John, in my opinion, the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation somewhere around 90 or 100 A.D. And so we're talking 100 years just to get to the start of what you and I consider to be the move of God that started to infect the world in a good way. 
So to go to Cheryl's, in, in our American culture, we understand the first great awakening that started, pieces of it started in the 1600s, but it really started taking on its own life around 1730, and it lasted for about 40 years. If you do the math, 1730 plus 40 is 1770. You probably know what happened in 1776. If you don't, pretend like you do. The birth of our nation was a fruit of the spiritual awakening that took place on this continent. And if you go and study that out, and I, and I have some, there's people that have studied it better than me, but there was a time in American history that 95% of every breathing American on this continent would not have been caught dead not worshiping Jesus all day Sunday. And I mean all day. And there's still, some of you have grandparents that would not go to a store on Sunday. They'd not mow the lawn on Sunday. You got grandmas that would not do laundry on Sundays. And I'm not getting into, you know, what's right or what's wrong on Sundays. And Sunday's not even the Sabbath. But I'm just saying they honored the day of the Lord. There's still remnants of of how much reverence and fear of God. I just did a Zoom on Thursday that I talked about the fear of God, and it was, man, I, I was even a little feisty, and I actually had someone call me a couple days later, and he was in tears, and he was wrecked. And he's like, I, everything you said on Thursday nuked me. I'm gonna change my entire life based upon what you just said, and I'm gonna actually start to have a fear of God and understand the Lord. We don't have a grid in America for Lord. We understand president, boss, supervisor, which we hate them all. And so then when Jesus comes in and he's Lord, he's just another person that has a title that really doesn't mean nothing because you're in charge of your life, whether you call him Lord or not. And that first great awakening birthed what you and I believe to be the greatest governmental experiment that's ever been done by human hands. I believe that God was divinely a part of the birth of this nation. I can show you in the founding documents and the founding fathers' hearts. I don't believe that it all happened right, just like anything else that man touches, they can, they can muck it up. But I believe that that was God's inspiration. And then approximately 100 years later in in and around 1840, 1850, there was another Great Awakening. This would have been basically the Protestant movement kind of exploding across our nation. This is where all the Methodist churches came from. A lot of Lutheranism came out of this. Uh, evangelical free, the Baptists, the Anabaptists, a lot of this stuff happened in the, in the mid-1800s. There were, there were circuit rider preachers. There was a ton of great things that were happening in our nation because our nation had gotten, believe it or not, in 1820, 1830, America was as secular as it is now. The bars were filled, the brothels were filled, people were, and it was actually killing people. There was uh, pandemics and epidemics that were going through the nation. They're always congruent with the spiritual climate of a people. Go read the Bible and you'll find out that poverty, sickness, misery, they are always congruent with the spiritual climate of a person or a people. If you, can, if you wanna drill it down into the personal life, 
people that are depressed and oppressed and sickly and miserable, I will tell you that it is 100% a derivative of a spiritual climate. Amen. And if, any, if there's one thing you can learn from the book of Judges is when, when there's good people in charge and they're doing the right thing, the nation flourishes. And then you go into First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and First and Second Samuel, you can see it's the exact same thing. Good people, good ministry, good priests, the people are flourishing. Bad kings, bad priests, bad spiritual climate, complete decimation. Killing babies to the god of Moloch. Happened over and over and over and over. And here we are in America, we think that our spiritual climate in our nation has zero to do with what's going on. It's just all science, follow the science. I've seen a meme on Facebook. A guy said, I followed the science and I couldn't find the science, so then I followed the money and then I found the science. I thought that was the, the greatest thing that I had read on Facebook in a long time. Because it's totally, it's totally true. And so the second great awakening came in the, in the mid-1800s, and there was this incredible fire of revival that went across the nation. There were there would be literal towns that would be emptied out because people would be out in the fields worshiping God for days on end. The bars just literally closed. Um, brothels closed. People were radically saved and transformed. And, and the nation went through this incredible change. And then right at the very end of it, anybody know what happened in the 1860s? Civil War. The Civil War was a fruit of the Second Great Awakening in America. And I know you're thinking, like, that's a terrible fruit. It's because there were people resisting what God wanted to do. God wanted to do it in a spiritual way, and the people wouldn't let him. And so they had to take up arms, brother against brother. It was one of the, it's one of the hugest blots on our American history it ended up with a great effect. People now know, like, praise God that we live in 2020, and the only people that are racist in 2020 are the ones that are making money off of being racist, which are the left woke folks, because they sell books about racism and all that garbage. There's, there are very few people, I know that they're not, that I'm aware of in this congregation, anybody gives a rip about what skin color you are because the Bible specifically says it's not, it has zero to do with your uh, blood heritage. Mm -hmm. it, man, I'm not gonna go there because I'll preach. That ended with the Civil War, which righted something that was wrong in our culture it didn't write it the way God wanted it writ, righted. God wanted it righted through repentance, and some people just resisted, and some of those people were preachers. Yep, I'm calling us out. But the Christians, the reason that there was a civil war, few people understand this, the reason there was a civil war in our nation was because the preachers and the Christians would not get right. In the South, they were preaching, and I, and I know that you're saying, no way. I'm telling you, in the South, they were preaching that slaves were not as human, not as 
didn't have the same value as non-slaves. And they used Bible. They used Bible verses. And preachers would preach this stuff from the pulpit, telling these folks that owned slaves that they were doing godly things. You know that there's pulpits right now. I won't point fingers because some of them are in this town. There are pulpits right now that are preaching that the divine creation of being a male or a female, too, man or woman, has, is no longer in existence. You know they're using Bible. That marriage is no longer a man and a woman, but it can be a guy and a dog or a monkey and a woman or what, whatever they got, whatever they want to come up with, and they're going to use Bible to do this stuff, y'all. <laughs> I've heard the sermons. And I know you're thinking, like, no way, people wouldn't believe that. You, okay, the same people that wouldn't believe that black folks were not worth as much as white folks 100 years ago, which are also the same people in 1939 in Germany that thought Jews were less of a human than Germans. Beloved, this happens all the time. This is why you have to be able to rightly define, rightly discern the word of God and the spirit of God. So then we move into a time where people were writing the ship. If you've ever heard of Orthodox Christianity or evangelical, evangelicalism, man, I can't even say it. So much for being a doctor. Uh, and also, uh, if, you've, if you've ever gone to churches that, uh, that talk about they're only gonna preach the gospel, they usually are churches that come out of denominations that realize that they were mucked up in the 1860s and they were on the wrong side of the slavery debate. And so they've come out and they said, we're not going to do social stuff anymore. We're not going to do uh, politics anymore. We're not going to get engaged with society. We're not going to do any of that stuff. We're just going to preach the gospel. Have you ever heard a preacher say that? I don't do politics. I'm just going to preach the gospel. It's because they don't believe that the gospel can do anything with culture and society and government and all that kind of stuff. And so they're limp-wristed. Jesus affected kingdoms when he preached. His people went and changed entire nations. The gospel they carried changed things. And so that was the second great awakening that turned into this time that where we've got now 47,000 denominations in Christianity. 47,000 Christian denominations. Every one of them, a split. We at Beloved have had two and a half church splits, so I know what this is like. Every one of them is a split from someone who says they know better than the guy that they split from. And so then they started their whole little group of we know better on this. And the problem is, is that there's just all these little singularities. Some folks uh, focus in on just the Holy Spirit. Some people want to talk about just baptism. Some people want to talk about just getting people saved. Some people want to talk. That is not the whole counsel of God. None of the apostles did any of that. They covered all the things that were a part of the kingdom, which is why we don't have a denomination. We're, we're non or interdenominational at this church. Now we go forward from the 1860s and here we are in 2020 and I can go through other things like there was a revival of the Holy Spirit, there was a revival of wisdom, there was a revival of the gifts of the Spirit, there was a revival of godly prosperity, there was a there's all these things I could go through but now we're getting to this time to where things are so bad 
that they're secretly transitioning five-year-old children in the schools. And they're teaching them that that transition is actually right. We are, and I could go through thousands of social woes that we have in our society right now, but this is very congruent with exactly the types of things that happen at the very beginning stages of a Great Awakening. And we got an election coming up that is gonna be incredibly important for the future of our country. And then two years later, another one, and two years later, another one, two years later. And God is going to have the end results of what he desires to see in this country and with those people. I believe that there is a remnant church still left in America. I believe you're part of it. Congratulations. Of people who actually believe the Bible, actually believe in God, actually believe the truths, the very foundational truths that we are all supposed to embrace. And so that's what we're going into. It's been, a, we're about eight years in and it almost looks worse than it did eight years ago. Those of you that are old enough to remember back eight years. And I'm not saying it's going to be done in, there's a ton of people that are talking about, man, when this election's over, we're going to, I'm not one of those guys. I still think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And honestly, one of the reasons it has to get worse is to get rid of the fakers. There's still a ton of people that go to church or call themselves uh, super cool Christian people that are really faking it. It's all heady, it's all emotional, or it's all intellectual, and it's really not the heart. You ever heard Bob talk? It is all a matter of the heart, and there are people that have not legitimately gone into the depths of their heart, and they pulled things out that shouldn't be there and put things in there that should be there. There should be, marriages should be off the chart. Our uh, soul prosperity, our emotional prosperity should be off the chart. People should see us a mile away and say, what is different about them? Yep. And for the most of us, if someone followed us around with a clipboard, they would be shocked to watch us walk into a church on Sunday morning. Amen? Don't, don't amen me. Don't amen me. So having said all that, that's my... That's my quick overview of what I believe that the Great Awakening is. I don't think it's a political thing. I don't think it's a government thing. I don't think it's an economic thing. I don't think it's necessarily a health and healing thing. But all of those are going to be a part of it. When we get our spiritual core in this nation and in our world back to healthy, all of the other healthy things come out of it. If you are a healthy spiritual person, you will be physically healthy. You will be financially healthy. You will be emotionally healthy. Your marriage will be healthy. Your relationships in your life will be healthy. If you want to fix all the things in your life, be spiritually healthy. Everything will flow out of it. I promise you, money back guarantee. Money back guarantee. So I, I don't know if that answers your, go ahead. Can you just speak to the eight years ago? You didn't definitively say you said eight years ago you believe it started. What happened eight years ago? Or did... Uh, there, was, there was some prophetic words and some things that happened um, in the culture. And I don't want to get too deep into it. Some of it had to do with uh, political leaders and things that were being exposed. And part of going into this great awakening that I didn't say was there is uh, part of an awakening, think about it, awaken means that people are asleep, 
and then they wake up. Now, some people wake up better than others. <laughs> I won't look at nobody. I've been around some of y'all early in the morning. Don't you look at me. Some people wake up better than others. Some of the things that wake people up are different than what wakes up other folks. Some of you wake up with the, with the sweet little piano thing on your alarm clock. Ah. Some of you have the wah, wah, wah. <laughs> okay, so I was, I was gracious enough by the Lord to be woke up with the tinkling of the little piano keys. I'm like, oh, oh, prophetic word. Oh, this is, oh, that's what's going on. Oh, I see that. I put all these pieces together. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm awake. You know, some of the things that woke me up was like 9-11, and I don't want to go into any of that stuff. Anyway, some other people are going to have to have literally people hauled away in handcuffs that they thought were heroes. And this pedophilia being exposed in Hollywood and in the governmental systems and these things that are going on in the schools, when you read these stories about teachers who have been grooming children and doing terrible things to them for years and it being hidden and hidden and hidden, you know, that actually wakes people up. It's a bad awakening. It's wah, 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 what happened to... We should have been awake before that. So when I talk about awakening, there's going to be some things that are just going to shake people and they're going to be like, oh, and we're going to have to be there calm, filled with the Spirit of God. So when these people freak up and they come screaming out of their houses with their hair on fire, we'll be like, hey, 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 there's a God. Jesus loves you. We're going to take your hand. We're going to walk through this. It's going to be fine. Settle down. So I, I honestly think that the ramp up for this is going to be a good solid 10, 12 years. And so, and I'm okay with the Lord doing it fast. It doesn't have to get worse before it gets better. I'm okay if the Lord stands in the middle of Washington, D.C. and just nukes the place to the ground, <laughs> Jesus' name. But if he doesn't, uh, I, I'm okay with the Lord doing this however he wants to do this. I can tell you this, I'm awake. I'm awake. And you get to choose whether you are or not. If you want to have a revival, it starts right here. If you're, if you're terribly upset about what's going on out there, you got the wrong focus. You should be really excited about what's going on right in here. And then when all of us got a lot of this going on, if this whole building had people, if 100% of the folks that were in here were on fire for the Lord, the world would come watch us burn. And then they'd catch on fire, and then they'd catch on fire, and they'd catch on fire, and what, whatever. I'm okay with the Great Awakening starting in Lena. I'm totally okay with that. It just depends on if you're okay with that. All right, you want to talk about any Great Awakening? Yeah, I just wanted to share real quick. Um, <laughs> real quick. Uh, one of the things that um, when Steve was sharing, I was thinking about how he was talking about Andrew and Pastor Dwayne, which I, I know better. I've, I've listened to them for a very long time can't really speak to Mario or Lance, but the Spirit of God revealed this to them, that this great awakening, that they, they were in it. And Andrew and Duane 
believe that what they heard was from God. And, and I, I see what I can affirm this, but I noticed personally a shift in their ministries, a shift in the way they ministered because they got that download from the yep. Spirit of God that the Great Awakening is now, the Third Great Awakening is now, whichever language you want to use, it shifted their ministries, it shifted the way they looked at things, it shifted um, their resolve even more so. Um, and one of the things that I believe that God revealed to them is because they are very um, faithful men, they are very um, mature men that can be a part of leading us into the Great Awakening. And, and it's the same thing with Steve, he, he has this heart for the great awakening because God has revealed it to him. He has showed it to him. And he has shifted the way he um, interacts with this world because he believes it is now, it is here. Um, and so it's just one of those things that we have, to, we have to have that download from the Spirit of God too. Like, okay, God revealed to me that we're in this great awakening and what's my part in it? What's my part in this great awakening? If you're showing me that we are in this and we're a part of it and we're a part of awakening to this world, to the kingdom of God, where's my place in it? Andrew and Duane have been doing that. They've been seeking God. Where's my place in this? And they have been making moves in their ministries based upon what God has showed them he wants them to do in this great awakening. Steve has been... Um, shifting and doing things because God's got a role for him in the Great Awakening. You know, so what is ours? What is our role in the Great Awakening? And we need to be purposeful about asking him that question for ourselves. That's good. Hello? Ooh, cool. <laughs> okay, uh, real so quick. So I'm going to start with something completely let me, let me, different. Let me start with a little bit of adequate. Go ahead. As a person who was a professional sound man and did some professional video stuff, don't ever tap a mic. <laughs> One. Two, if you do ever take a mic, this is just going to be helpful knowledge along the treading of the Great Awakening, because you all might have mics. If you ever take a mic and it's too loud or it's too soft or it squeaks or it does whatever, just keep talking. The sound folks are working on it. Just keep talking. They'll get it worked out. But if you take the mic and, whoa, whoa, <laughs> everybody is going to look back there to the poor sound man who used to be me. I'm working on it. <laughs> so whenever you take a mic, just take a mic and talk into it normal. Some people talk into it really quietly because they think the mic is going to make that. No, that just makes it harder. If you talk normal into a microphone, the sound folks will do what they're created to do, and everything will be fine. All right. So anyway, that had nothing to do with Clark. <laughs> Some so, about so here's, first of all, I want to preface the fact that this is kind of coming out of our Bible study that we do on Thursdays. So it's going to be for both of you. Um, but it also comes from, my wife has gone for a whole week um, with a couple that have some real spiritual needs. And I'm not going to go into what that is, but one of the teachings that my wife was talking about was that at the church she was staying at, 
was that they were teaching basically that this, the gifts of the Spirit weren't available for everybody. Now, I, you know, it's funny because I, I, I can look at 1 Corinthians 12 talking about how, you know, are all you know, apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do, uh, do you know, work miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all have the tongues, do, do all interpret, and then it talks about seeking the greater gifts, which obviously is love, right? But, you know, it's funny is that if I was to come in here before I, I met you guys, before I was in that Sunday school, or sorry, excuse me, Bible study that we're doing, I would have taken this to mean that no, not all are apostles and not all are prophets and not all are teachers. And there's more to this though, because as I'm sitting here, I realize now why I was taking it wrong, because it was assuming that they didn't, they, God was keeping them from these gifts when it wasn't, it was their lack of faith and seeking out these other things, not for themselves, but for the greater good of the people. And so I, I want you to expound on that a little bit for me, because um, I'm still new at this. I'm not saying that I'm, I've got everything good, and everybody's staring at me, and all this. But the other side of it is, is that what other verses do you use to, to help people get through this portion to let them understand that there's more to that than just relegating yourself, well, I guess I'll just be a, a good person that sits in the, the pew and does nothing more. You want to start? You're going to start. <laughs> I'll start. Yep. Firstly, let me come at this from a, a rational way. Because I honestly believe that's very important. I can give you scriptures until the cows come home, but people... People don't believe the Bible, y'all. I tell people all the time, hey, 1 Peter 2.24 says, by his stripes you're healed. Well, I don't feel healed. Okay, well, go with what you feel then, I guess. I mean, I don't know. It, a lot of people think the Bible is like speed limit signs. Like, if you do it, great. If you don't, don't get caught. Rationally, I want you to consider this. In the Old Testament, God made a way for people to experience a supernatural or divine touch from him. You can go read the Old Testament. People got healed. People were blessed by God. People had incredible encounters with the Lord all throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes along, and it's experience personified. Wherever he went, there was dramatic, miraculous, supernatural encounters of God through the person of Jesus. And then you go into the book of Acts and they carried on what the Lord told them to do in the Great Commission, in the Great Commission which was go and do what I did with the same message that I have, with the same spirit that I have. And there, there's a ton, a ton of denominations in this world, they're called dispensationalists, that thinks that when the last apostle died, basically the Holy Spirit died. And then we've been floundering without an opportunity to have a supernatural encounter with God for 2,000 years. So God was this way in the Old Testament. God was this way in the ministry of Jesus. 
God was this way through the apostles. And then God changed. It's not rational. If God was encountering, fo encountering folks in the Old Testament and doing incredible, miraculous things, he parted the Red Sea in the Old Testament, y'all. That's bigger than stuff Jesus did. And then most of us know the ministry of Jesus. Just thousands of people all the time being healed and delivered and set free. We just, just last week when I preached on Mary Magdalene, she literally was the person that had seven demons cast out of her. You know how miraculous that is? You know what most of you would do if someone stood in front of you with seven demons? You'd call me. <laughs> that is a supernatural thing, and I know we think that demons cease to exist. I got news for you. In America, demons don't see, in fact, I think there's more demon-possessed people in America. We just have more medication to keep them under control. A lot of these people that are walking around medicated to the hilt, it's because they've got demonic energy that's jacking with them. If you get them off the medicine and let the demons manifest, they'd actually come in here and get set free and they wouldn't have to have a demon or the medicine. And oh, thank you for that one clap, that's okay. Uh, God desires to encounter people. And God is supernatural. The word supernatural just means above the natural. And so, when did it go away? I, I have this conversation with people that believe in abortion, that believe in murdering a child. Most people that believe in abortion do not believe that it is, it is right, moral, to abort a child 30 seconds before they're going to be born. Right? You've probably met people that believe in abortion, but even those people don't believe that you should abort that child, like literally right in labor when the child's about to be born. Because you're like, no way, it's a baby now, like for real. And so I asked them, okay, so it's a baby 30 seconds before it's born. Yes. Is it a baby five minutes before it's born? Yes. Is it a baby the night before it's born? Yeah. Is it a baby a week before it's born? Yeah. Is it a baby a month before it's born? Yeah. About three months before it's born? No. Okay. So what is it? Three months, four days, seven hours, 14 minutes, and 10 seconds. Is that the moment? It was, a, it was a, a fetus, a nothing, and then magically in this one hair breadth of a second, and by the way, was it on the second, or was it a half a second, or was it a millisecond, or was it a nanosecond? I mean, when, when did it go from not being a human to being a human? And they can't answer you, because it's not. And just so you know, it was the Supreme Court back in the 1970s, in the, in the original Roe v. Wade, that invented the whole trimester thing. The justices of the Supreme Court, not doctors, not, they're the ones that invented the trimester thing because they said, okay, we recognize that there's a right to kill a baby. So as long as we just determine when it's a baby. So they said, before three months, no, uh, that's probably not a baby, kill it well. Three months to six months, eh, we'll just let the states decide. But after six months, it's gotta be a baby. 
third trimester, you can't kill it. Literally, Supreme Court justices came up with the, the trimester language so they could decide when to kill it. And so I've actually asked people, so, so you think you can kill a baby before three months? So what if you got it wrong? What if you were conceived? What if the doctor didn't know exact day that you were conceived? Did you kill it? Should you go to prison for murder? Well, no, of course not. Okay, it's the same conversation that I have with people who are dispensationalists. Okay, the Spirit of God died. The Holy Spirit died someday. When was that day? At the end of Peter's ministry? Because John outlasted Peter. John lived longer. And John had miraculous encounters in John's ministry. In fact, they tried to kill John. They boiled him in oil. This You can go read this in secular history. They tried to kill him, boil him in oil, and he sang unto God. They couldn't kill him by boiling him in oil, so they let him out. He was completely fine, and they were so irritated with him that finally they eventually had to behead him because they couldn't figure out how to kill him any other way. He wouldn't die. That's what happens when you have an encounter with the love of God. So did it cease with John? No, because you can go into history and you can find out there was incredible, miraculous ministries that happened after the ministry of John. And then you can go all the way, in. there's monks in the 1300s that had incredible encounters with God. And the 1400s and the 1500s. So when did the Holy Spirit die? It's like it died in America. Because we're not allowed to have Holy Spirit. We're not allowed to have the Spirit of God give us gifts. That's when the Holy Spirit died, it's somewhere in America. Because he didn't die at the end of the apostles' life because a bunch of stuff carried on. There were people in the churches back then in 1300 and in the Diocletian era and, and, all the, and Nero and all those people. There were, you can go back and read that, that the Christians were having incredible supernatural encounters over and over and over. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. There was incredible things that were happening. So when did the Holy Spirit die? Can someone tell me the day? The day that the gifts of the Spirit died. Please someone tell me because it's not in the Bible. And it's not after the Bible. So it's got to be somewhere whenever we formed whatever denomination that decided that the Holy Spirit died. So that's my rational way. Now I can go into all the scriptures and say that until we're perfected, 1 Corinthians 13 says that, that love is the perfect. And 1 Corinthians 14 says until the perfect, the complete perfect comes, we're going to know in part and experience in part. And part of knowing in part, experience in part, is having the gifts of the Spirit. So until we're all perfected in love, raise your hand if you are. <laughs> then we're going to need the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah. We're going to need the yeah. gifts of the Spirit until we're all perfected in love. And ain't none of us there yet. And Jesus was the one giving the gifts. So we're going to always have the gifts with us until we cross over and we won't need the supernatural to change anything in the natural because the supernatural will change everything in the natural. Yeah. Um, this is why you go first. Uh, I, I'll just say, uh, most of the time uh, when I have had these conversations with people, um, I've really had to drill down into their, their personal reasoning or their, honestly, it's, it's their relationship with God. Because if you truly had an intimate relationship with God in his word, it would be very, very hard for you to deny that he has these gifts for here and now and for me. 
And so most of the time it, it turns into a conversation about their relationship from, from the Father and like, why, why do you not believe that he has this available for you? That he, he trusts you to operate in these gifts to minister to your family, minister to your church, minister, you know. So it, I usually um, use it as an opportunity to minister to that individual person about why, why they don't believe these gifts are for them. Because sometimes it is, it is that. It's, but you don't know what I've done. How can God possibly trust me right. to operate in these gifts so I can minister to the people around me? You know, because we just think God looks at us the way we look at ourselves. And that's not how he is. Praise God. He doesn't look at us the way we look at ourselves sometimes. Um, and so that's, that's my short, quick answer is it's an opportunity for you to really to dig into that person's heart and why they don't believe that God has those gifts for them. A lot of people think Jesus is like Santa Claus. And if you're good all year, then you get a gift. If you're bad, you get coal. And I've been bad, so I get coal. Steve must have been good because he got a gift because he's seen... I, I, I ain't any better than anybody in here. That's a great place for an amen right there. <laughs> I set you all up and you didn't even take it. it. It's not by my holiness that God does incredible things to you. It's in spite of my holiness. It's not because I got it all figured out. It's because I don't have it figured out. Why otherwise would I need a gift? Yeah. God wants to, do, wants to give people gifts through you. He actually believes that you are a gift to this world. He wants to gift people through you. The greatest thing that he could gift to people through you is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, all right. And we do have the email question. What is it? Oh, is it here? I didn't get emailed it. You did, I apparently. I don't have an email question. Someone supposedly... You might oh, I, yep. I, I'm sorry. I have an email. With, with, <laughs> yeah, the, the person. What, Lord? <laughs> with regards. <laughs> with regards to agape love, hopefully you understand the difference between agape love and the other versions of love. Depending on what you study. And Kone Greek, Kone Greek is what the Bible, the New Testament was written in, which is an ancient form of Greek. It's not today's version of Greek. It's called Kone Greek. And depending on who you read, Kone Greek either has nine, eight, seven, or six words for love. I know you're probably thinking like, uh-uh. I'm telling you, this is what happens when you, when you, this is why people don't want to be theologians. So I personally, the Bible uses four different versions of love. Agape is the God kind of love. So when you, see, when you hear the word agape, that means the God kind of love. That means Jesus on the cross, John 3, 16, kind of love. Where you don't deserve nothing, God's doing it because he's, lovey, he's lovely, loving, you are not lovely. It's per, it's. Love without performance, it's love that has nothing to do with you. <clears throat> with regards to agape love, is all this worldly love 
like familial, which is the love for family, kinfolk. Eros, eros is the word erotic, so that goes into physical or sexual love, um, etc. that you've taught on just not really God's love at all. So are all these other forms of love not God's kind of love? And if not, are any of them worth anything? It seems once you begin to operate in agape love in every situation, hard or easy, it feels like there's no more emotion with regards to love. This is a deep question. Agape love is love perfected. Inside of agape love is uh, eros, believe it or not. And I, and I know that you're like, whoa, 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 inside agape love there's sex? No, it's physical love. Jesus physically loved us on the cross. Mm-hmm. That was eros love on the cross as much as it was agape love. He gave his body for his bride. There's physical love in that. He took stripes on his back so you could be healed. That's eros. There's familial love. He he brought us into a family. We are his family. He will do things for people that are born again more often, more likely than people who are not. If somebody who is not born again wants to come and hurt one of his kids, he'll defend his kid. Just like if someone tries to hurt Kay, I'll defend Kay to my death. So that's actually a family love, and it's inside of agape. And so agape love is all of the other types of love except perfected. So there still should be those other types of love in there. They're just going to have to be filtered through how God understands perfected love to be, which just means, like if I have Hannah as my daughter, so if uh, Hannah decided to flip a bird to me and Kay, I don't love you guys no more, I hate God, I'm out of here and then I fall apart like a $2 suitcase because my daughter doesn't love us and doesn't love God, and I spend the rest of my life giving her money for her drug habits and doing all kinds of stuff, chasing her around because she's my kinfolk daughter, and I don't do things for the body of Christ and for my sisters and for the young people in this church, then I have not allowed my love to be perfected. And people do this all the time. They, and they'll call it love. It's not love perfected. It is a form of love. It is a familial love, and you are doing things for your family because they're your family, but you're forgetting that you're part of a family of God. And you've not filtered it through an agape. And so agape love perfected has all of the other kinds of love built into it. And this is why in English it's really terrible because we say, I love pizza, I love my dog, and I really love my wife. I hope you love your wife more than you love pizza or a dog. Well, no, in today's world. Kay's really good at love, by the way, so she can, she can talk about this endlessly. <laughs> that was a quick answer for you. Um, the the one, one thing I'm going to say is um, all of us, for the most part, come into this world uh, learning agape love last right and so we've learned the world's version of arrows we've learned the world's version of familiar we've learned the world's version of 
um, Philadelphia. And so when we start, when we're in the kingdom and we start learning what agape love is, it shifts how we look at familial love. It shifts how we look at Eros love. It shifts how we look at Philadelphia love, which is the friendship love. Um, and so it's going to, uh, you know, it's an upside down kingdom. And so it's going it, to, we were talking about this on Wednesday night. The word weird was thrown out a lot on Wednesday night. It is going to feel or be weird because you've learned how to operate in these different aspects of love in the world's way. And now you've got to completely shift the way it looks, the way you operate in it, the way you interact with your family, the way you're intimate with your spouse or the fact that, oh, I, uh, I'm not married, so this needs to stop. And so it's, sh it's shifting the way you think. And so it's going, to be, it's going to feel weird. And so sometimes when you're talking about how um, it, it feels like uh, there's no more emotion with regards to love, um, it's because you're, you're shifting the way you operate in it. And so the way it felt before in the world's way is not the same way it's going to feel when you're, when you're operating through agape and those things. So it is just that shift of it being different. Um, and it, it's, I don't know if, um, I don't know if it feels like there's no more emotion is necessarily the right language to it. It's just, it's different. It is different. You're no longer led by the emotional aspect of all those things. You are now led by the agape love. And so it's just, it's just a shift that we all, we all in this room have had to make and are still making in all those areas. Uh, one of the things about the emotion part of it, we're so aware of emotions our feelings and our emotions. We're more aware of feelings and emotions than we are probably any other thing. Jesus could be standing next to you, breathing on your neck. And you might be aware of like how angry you are at Kay because of whatever. We, we are very unaware of spiritual reality. So part of maturing is going from a person led by emotions to a person that's led by the Spirit of God and has emotions come the way God wants them to come. I just said a mouthful right there. I hope you'd figure it out. But that is the process of maturing. Immature people are led by emotions, led by feelings. Their, their lives are a derivative of what they feel and, and what other people do and all that. A mature person does the right thing, follows the Spirit of God, and all the other parts come. Uh, on the Q&A cards, one of them was Adam and Eve were the first people God made. Did he make more after them? No, he rested. He was done making when he was done making. If not, where did Cain and Seth's wives come from? Yeah, baby. <laughs> this has been a long time theological debate because on one hand, God has to make extra people, which isn't in the Bible. On the other hand, God has to wink at incest. 
That's a rock and a hard place. And a lot of people fall in a lot of categories. So I'm going to give you my quick version. I don't think Kay probably, I, maybe she I does. have a couple notes, so we'll see what you oh, say. And then gonna... <laughs> uh, one of the reasons that God outlawed, in, in the law, incest is wrong, obviously. Way wrong. The reason that God made incest wrong was because it was perpetuating evil and wickedness and some of the fall of Adam and the curse. Adam and Eve had no violated genetics in them. They were perfectly made by God. In a way, you could almost say Adam and Eve were brother and sister. Mm -hmm. The incest that God said was wrong in Scripture, God, I believe that God said right here from here on out, this is wrong. Don't ever do this because it was perpetuating genetic disease in humanity. Human humans, fallen sinful humans, went from living 950 years. Adam, Adam lived 930 years. Methuselah lived 969 years. And I know people are like, that ain't really real. Okay. You do what you got to do. I'm telling you, the Bible don't lie. Methuselah was 969 years old because they had no genetic <coughs> defects. It took that long for the devil to talk people into dying. Now he tells you that you got a COVID and you put a mask on. But because it was so, because it was happening so fast and so terrible, God had to put a law in there to stop it. And, and this goes into all kinds of crazy places, and I'm not going to get super deep on this. This would have to be a whole thing by itself. But there are some laws that were specifically in there for types and shadows that really didn't necessarily have anything to do with a physical thing. Like God didn't have problems with pigs. He put that in there on purpose to draw a, uh, a type and shadow to Christ. That only clean, these were clean animals, these were unclean. Do not touch the unclean. God didn't have a problem with pork. Amen. God has told me audibly to eat bacon. <laughs> He wasn't like hating on pigs. He put that in there. It's the same way in the Levitical law, if a priest has a mole on their body, they're not allowed to be a priest. And if you got a crooked nose, if your eyesight's not 20-20, if you're left-handed. So did God hate left-handed people? No, it was a type and shadow for things. And so when Christ the real came and the type and shadow didn't have to be there anymore, that particular part of the law passed away. Just like not eating pig, not eating pork, passed away because it was a type and shadow of the time. So I'm not saying that incest, okay, that was probably a terrible transition, but God put something in at that moment. So I, I don't believe before that that it was super terrible. If you, if you remember, Abraham married his half-sister. There is nowhere in Scripture that God was upset with Abraham marrying his half-sister. Mm -hmm. Amen. It's just the way it was. And so... Uh, Seth likely married his sister. God got done making people when he was done making people. I do not believe in a pre-Adamic race. I do not believe in a sub-Adamic race. I do not believe in any of that kind of stuff. 
I believe that Adam and Eve were real people that God really made, and they were the mother and the father of all the human race. That's how it really was, which means Seth, their son, had to marry a sister in order to perpetuate the race. But there was zero genetic defects in humanity at that time, and so even though what we would classify it to be as incest, it was still pure. And then it got unpure because all of the other nations adopted it and they started doing it on purpose. And now, if you know, some of royalty in other countries are really jacked up and there's, uh, there's all kinds of diseases that came from gen genetic abnormalities that got into people through incest. And so God said, that's it, stop it. It's causing damage to the human race because of sin and the fall. That's my two cents. Other people have different cents, but you, it, you're gonna be hard pressed to believe in an actual Adam and Eve where you don't have to process all that. Yep, those are all the points I was gonna make, so. That's right. And then last, I can do this in 90 seconds. God created the covenant of marriage and blessed us with it. One person. You better get. I ain't married. I don't give a rip about that covenant. God, just be happy for me and Kay. Just be yeah, happy yeah. for me and Kay. God created the covenant of marriage. Note, covenant of marriage. I feel like I'm actually making an impact. It's not marriage, it's a covenant of marriage. And blessed us with it. He made it clear that it is something to honor and cherish. So why is it that there's no marriage in heaven? So here's my fast answer, there is. Christ is the groom, we're yep. the bride. Yep. Yeah. That's the fullness. The fullness yep. is Christ is the groom, the church is the bride. Yep. There is one marriage in heaven, and because covenants last forever, there's no reason for other covenants. Um, to drill down a little bit more, there's not male nor female. There's not, we're not going to be partial. Part of the reason that God gave us the covenant of marriage is because there are parts that God wants to give to me and specifically wants to give to me, and it had to come through her. I got in touch with my feminine side when I got married. Her name is Kay. I don't have a feminine side as a guy. If you believe any of that junk, you're already halfway down the woke trail. You, you don't have that stuff. God didn't make me with a black dog and a white dog, and there's a girl on the inside and a guy on the inside, and one day I'll figure it out. No, I, this is my feminine side. Thank God for the covenant. And in heaven, it doesn't work that way. We are going to be in the covenant of the marriage between the groom and the bride, and so there will need to be no other covenant ever. That's exactly what I was going to say. All right. That, yeah. We're, we're a type and shadow. All right. So the, the, uh, we can go for, for days and weeks and months on the covenant of marriage and why it's, it, God gave it to us to end when someone dies. If you read Romans chapter 7, the first three verses talk about the way that you're set free from the law, from a contract, is by the death of someone that's in that contract. And so that's why when we get born again, the old covenant that we had with Satan and with sin and with the fall of man died. 
when you died and then you got a new covenant with Jesus and there's only blessing and goodness and grace and love in the new covenant with Jesus because he uh, is the blesser, Satan is the curser. So that's why it's important to be born again so you can get into that new covenant. All right, I'd like to bless you. Please rise. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the beloved family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.